passions, always learning, but never able to uh, arrive at the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambes oppressed Moses, so those men also oppressed the truth. They, these men corrupted in the mid of disqualified regarding the faith, but they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. You, however, have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, and my sufferings that happened to me at Antioch, uh, at, at Creum, and at uh, Lystria. With persecutions I endured, yet with them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people, imposters, will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from, from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this word and, Lord, how it guides us. Lord, and even though we find ourselves always, Lord, in difficult times, Lord, I pray, Lord, that we understand, Lord, the weapon that you have given us, Lord, against all the lies, Lord, against all the deceit, Lord, that we encounter and that is your word. And so, Lord, I pray this morning that we focus ourselves, Lord, as parents to make the opportunity to teach our children about faith and to teach our children to be lovers and obeyers of the Scripture. And, Lord, that we make it the first priority that they are around the people who will strengthen them in their faith. And, Lord, that we make the commitment to have them in the Lord's house Lord, I just pray, Lord, that we commit ourselves, Lord, both as families, Lord, and as the family of God here at this church, that we raise people, that we raise children, and that we raise those who are among us to be lovers and obeyers of your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. The scripture tells us a lot, uh, uh, tells us about the realities that we face. And what he tells and what he begins this chapter with was the very truth. It says, but understand this, for in the last times, there will, I mean, in the last days, there will be times of difficulty. Now, I don't need to do much exegesis, and I don't need to do much theologizing to assure you or to convince you that that is the truth, that the difficulties have come. And what Paul wants wants Timothy to be aware of is all of the difficulties, all of the enemies, all of the troubles that he and the people of his church, he and the people who confess themselves to Jesus Christ are, are going to be aware of, are going to be facing themselves with because there are going to be enemies who are coming to snatch away the hearts and souls of the children 
the hearts and souls of every man, woman, and child who, compl- who, uh, who walks this earth or who would dare come n- near the knowledge of the truth of salvation of Jesus Christ. That there are going to be people who are raised up. They're going to live in a culture that is going to be determined to drive them away from the truth of God. He said, I want you to know that difficulties are coming. And we see all of these difficulties present present now as they were back then because Paul says that in the last days. Now, this is an important term that he gives to us, in the last days. Now, a lot of times we think about the last days, we think about the times of the tribulation when Jesus will begin to suddenly bring this world to the end. But what we need to understand is these last days refer to the time after Jesus Christ has arisen from the dead and ascended to heaven because that is when the end begins. That's when the last times begin because the now that Jesus Christ and has come and provided the way of salvation, now God can start to bring the end of the world to be. In over 2,000 years, the Lord has slowly and steadily in His sovereignty, in His way, and in His purpose, slowly bringing this world to the end. And I'm gladfully that the Lord did not bring the world to the end before Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, aren't you? Because if he brought the world to the end before Jesus Christ came and died for our sins, buddy, we'd all be in a heap of trouble, wouldn't we? He said, I want you to know that in these last days, in these times to which we live between now and to which Jesus comes back and sets his foot on the earth and takes reign over the world, difficulties are coming. And he talks about the difficulties that we face. He talks about the statue of the people that there lives, that they're going to be people who are going to be people who hate. They're going to be people who are disobedient of the parents. They're going to be people who are lovers of money. They're going to be people who are filled with greed. They're going to be people who are just controlled with their passions and have no self-control of themselves. There's going to be people who are going to be murderers. There's going to be people who are going to be stealers. And I think all of us realize this and know this, that, hey, that's what we are facing. That's what we have around us in the world today. And the most startling characteristic that he gives to us about these people, as he talks about their moral decay, he talks about how that moral decay uh, spreads to their spiritual decay. Because listen to what, um, listen to what he says uh, about them in verse number four. He says, uh, treacherous, uh, reckless, Swindlers and conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Because that's the society that has always described the sinful world, is that we love pleasures more than we love God. We love satisfying ourselves. We love satisfying our hungers. We love getting what we want more than we love God. God. And since we love those things more than we love God, we got to twist. We got to twist the teachings of God. We got to twist the image of God to accommodate that. So what happens to this? What happens to us is we become people like verse 5. It says, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its 
power. So since we love God, I mean, since we love things and we love our passions more than we love God, what we got to do is we got to change the order of religion. And we have to change the order of our relationship with God. So we're going to have some semblance of godliness because we as as creatures created by God, we long for uh, we long for our creator. We long to worship because that's how God has designed us. We long to have answers to the questions about our meaning and purpose of life. We long to have understandings about what happens to us when we die. But you know what? More than I love God, I love my passions and I love my appetites and I love deciding my own way for the world. So I'm going to have some semblance of God, but I'm going to deny it of his power. I'm going to deny God of his authority in my life. And that's what you see in the world today, is you see us filled with people who have some semblance of God, but denying God of its power. You know, you see spirituality all the time. You see people reading the scriptures, or quoting scripture all the time, but they deny his authority in our lives. If you don't believe me, I want us to think about, any of y'all watch, uh, did anybody y'all watch the, uh, the coronation of, uh, of King Charles over there in England? You know, they have this, uh, this ceremony, and uh, this ceremony comes uh, from the book of, uh, of uh, Common Prayer, and it's, it's an old sanctimonious. And if you watch that service, man, you heard them sing all of these, all of these religious songs, and you heard them quote all of those, those scriptures. And if you would uh, listen to that and you didn't know any better, man, you would think that this is a revival service. You would think that this was some godly people, but we know that the people over there in England are just like the people over here, is that they may quote this, but they are far, far, far away from God in their obedience to him. Their big, magnificent churches are empty. But they want to have some sort of semblance of God. They want God when they need Him. But what they desire more than the presence of God is their own personal passions. And so evil people eventually distort what it means to follow God. And slowly they drift away from the one true God. So we are people who are in our hearts inclined to fall away. And so there are going to come people who are going to come to save the service of taking, taking us away. And he said there are going to be people who are going to come and they're going to take advantage of, of, uh, of vulnerable women. And he says that these women are vulnerable because of their burden for sins and their personal desires. In other words, they have a burden for their sins. They have a burden to want something to be done for their sins, but they want it to accommodate their personal desires so they will listen to anything. So here comes these false teachers and say, look, uh, you can have God. You can have a, a, um, a semblance of God. You can have a spirituality, and you can still live the way you want to. And so they take those people who are burdened with their sins and who are imprisoned by their passions, and so they drag them, those people away. 
because they tell them what they want to hear. And he says, it's just going to be like uh, in the days of Moses with Jamus and Jambes. Who were those? Those were the two magicians that Pharaoh had. And when, uh, and so when, uh, when God uh, started to deliver the people out of Israel, he sent Moses to say, you know, take, let my people go. And so Moses would go, and uh, he had given them uh, certain signs to do. He did the, the, the sign with the staff, and then those first few plagues. And then he would call in those magicians, and those magicians would be able to, to duplicate some of those signs. And so since they were able to do, through their magical arts, the things that Moses were doing, Pharaoh didn't believe God. And so what God is saying is that there's going, or what Paul is saying is there's going to be people around us who are going to be people of false mystical religions who through the power that God will allow them, that allow them to have through the work of the demons and the servants of Satan will give them such uh, abilities as fortune telling and and uh, calling people up from the dead, and he will allow them such those powers to create idols and do mystical things to deceive people and tell them what they want to hear. And they'll walk away from the Lord. But what does the Scripture say to this? But they didn't get far. Y'all remember the story? First plague, the magicians were able to hang, do the same thing. Second plague, they were able to hang. Third plague, they could still hang. But you get the fourth. And then they couldn't do it no more because eventually God showed his power over false religion. God showed his power over the demons. I that all along that God was sovereign over all. So they didn't get far, and neither will they. So we understand that we face trying times. And so we feel a sense of panic about how can I protect my family? How can I protect my family in this world that seems so morally evil and seems so spiritually evil with so many people? who are on the social medias and who are on the TVs and who are on the TikToks and who are on the YouTubes, who are in the schools, who are in the government positions, who are seeking to take my family away from the Lord. How can I protect them? Well, he tells us, he tells us in the life of, of Timothy, because while there were so many evil influences that surrounding Timothy in his life, he had some people who were going to steer him to the way of the Lord. So first thing he had was Paul. Listen to what he says in verse number 10. It says, you, however, follow my teaching. So what he says, you know what? You know what, Timothy? In this life, you're going to find so much evil. And you're going to find all these things that are going to surround you are going to seek to pull you away from God. But as for you, follow my teaching. He says, you know what? If you're going to make it in your walk with God, if you're going to make it as a follower of Christ, 
you're going to have to go against the culture. And that's what we really have to face in society, is that society is never going to fully accommodate true belief. Society is never going to accommodate followers of Christ. There will always be, because we live in a sinful world, the winds will always push towards evil. And if we are going to make it, and if our family is going to make it, we have to teach them and make them aware that you're going to have to push and go against the culture. He says, but as for you, he says, I want you to follow my teaching. I want you to follow my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness. How is Timothy going to survive? How are our children going to survive? They're going to survive by following examples that were set by us. He said, follow my teaching, follow what I told you. But the thing that made the most difference is that he followed his conduct. And I want you to know that the children are watching you. They're watching every move you make. They're watching how you encounter the people that you meet at the store. They're watching how you react when, uh, when you face hard times. They're watching how you talk to other people. They're watching what you're watching on TV or on your phone. You're setting an example. You're setting a pattern for your children, for the children around you, and even for your spouse as well, whether or not you realize it or not. So what's going to allow Timothy to survive is that he had examples to follow. Now notice Paul's not his father but he took upon the responsibility as a father and he treated as a spiritual father and he took it upon himself to show young Timothy, to take him under his wings and to show him what it means meant to be a follower of Christ. So here this morning, even if you don't have children of your own or even if your children have gone on and don't have anything to do with you, you can make a difference in children's life and young people's life around you by setting a positive example. And so I know most of you think, well, you know, I don't have many children around us, uh, around me, and so this doesn't really apply to me. But when you think in the terms of children, you think about Paul setting an example for someone who was younger than him. And for most of you, there's not many people in this church who are younger than you. And so you are setting example for those people who are coming behind you. So I said, you, Timothy, you don't be like the culture, but you follow what I taught you. You follow, and listen to these things that he mentioned. He said, I want you to follow my conduct. If the children around you, if the people around you followed your act of conduct, where would they be? Would they be closer to God or would they be further away from God? Look, I want you to follow my aim in life. In other words, what I set my priorities to be. Did I set my priorities in following and pleasing Jesus? Or did I set my aim in life? Did I set my, play, uh, my, my purpose in life 
my path in life? Did I make the most important thing in my life, you know, playing ball or having the great career or any of those things? Was Jesus really the center of my aim in life? So I want you to follow my aim in life. I want you to learn steadfastness from me. And then he puts this in. He says, and my persecutions. He set an example not only in the way that he taught them, not only in his conduct, not only in his meaning and purpose of life, but also in the midst of steadfastness, also in the midst of persecutions. He taught Paul, he, I mean, Paul taught Timothy how to be strong and how to be tough and how to face up against the headwinds that will come against you, not only in the outside world, but also in the midst of the church that will push you away from a relationship to Jesus. He taught them the right things. He set the right example. And he taught Timothy how to be tough in his heart, in his soul, in his mind, in his body. Because what awaits for us is the reality that reveals to us in chapter, I mean, in verse number 12. It says, Indeed, all who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Does it mean that you're going to be locked in jail? Does it mean that you're going to be dragged out in the city center and beaten and flogged? Not necessarily, but persecution can come in even more more smaller and more subtle ways that are sometimes even harder to resist. They come in a sense of rejection, being pushed out of certain crowds, being pushed out of certain positions, being pushed out of certain jobs, being talked about, are being scorned. But understand this, the Scripture tells us that we understand the Scripture to be true, that everyone who seeks to live a godly life and Jesus Christ will be persecuted. So we have to establish that steadfast the desire in our hearts and life, and we have to exhibit to those people who are around us that we will actually stick with God, that we will stick with what we were taught in Scripture, regardless of what it costs us. We're going to face evil times, but the way to make it is to have people in your life that set an example of how to follow Christ. So I want to ask you a question. Are you setting an example of following Christ to not only your family, but to also the people who are around you, even in the church? But then he says in verse 14, he says, but as for you, says this again, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. Paul, had, I mean, uh, Timothy had an example in his life, and he had someone who taught him the scripture. He had someone to taught him how to live his life. He showed, was given the right example by not only Paul, but also his mother and his grandmother, who we'll talk about here in a second. He was surrounded by people who taught him the right way to live, but in the end, he had to make his own personal decision. Isn't that the hardest thing about being a parent? Isn't that the hardest thing about being a grandparent? 
Isn't that the hardest thing about working with and caring with, uh, with children, with young people? That as much as you teach them, as much as you do for them, as much as you set that right example, they have to make their own decisions. They have to eternalize in their own life. They have to believe Jesus Christ in their own heart, in their own life, and they have to establish their own relationship. And as much as we can exemplify that, and as much as we can encourage it, and as much as we could foster it, eventually they have to make their own decisions. And eventually you have to make your own decisions. And you're not going to get to heaven because your mama brought you to church, or your daddy brought you to church, or your grandmother brought you to church, and how good they were. You're going to receive Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior based on your commitment to Jesus yourself. So he had to make his own decisions. He says, knowing from whom you learned it. He talked about and uh, knowing whom you learned it and how from, uh, from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred scriptures. He talked about even from a young age. We learned a little bit about Timothy's life is that his mother and that his uh, grandmother were devout followers of, of Judaism. And they came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in their own personal life. And from a young age, they taught Timothy uh, about God. And they taught him about all the things about prayer. They took him to church. They did the all, all the right things. He had a mother and a grandmother who were faithful followers of God, the one true God. But rather, his father was a Greek and probably not a follower of the one true God. But still, his family was, was rich with the tradition. And what was it that they wanted to instill in his life that was going to allow young Timothy to face the world today? It was a love and an exposure to the Word of God. So you're talking about a mother, and you're talking about a grandmother, and you're talking about a spiritual father who poured into Timothy's life and their plan and their strategy to keep him from all of the evil forces that would sent to strike and to snatch him away from God. And their one strategy is I need to root him in the knowledge and the love for the word of God. And that ultimately is the secret. That's ultimately what's going to allow them to stand upon the true principles of Christ. That's what's going to allow them to stand against the evil. It's not only just your example and what you set for them in, life, in your life, but you teaching them to have a love and appreciation for the Word of God. Why is that so important? Because look at what the Word is able to do. Look at that last part of verse number 15. Um, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Our understanding of, of the Scripture points to the reality that we need a relationship with Jesus Christ, that we have sin in our life that we can't deal with on our own. And we need a Savior. When you set the example for them, 
and when you teach them the, the, the scriptures. You develop in them a love for them to have, a love for the scriptures for themselves. And in understanding the scriptures, they understand their need for a salvation relationship with Jesus Christ. Do you know what? The devil, the devil doesn't care if you worship him or not. That's not what Satan is after. You know, you see a lot of people today in, in uh, all these groups uh, that are talking about how they, how they worship the devil. And um, really, they're more of a, uh, I guess, a rebellion or a, an attack uh, against Christianity. They're just kind of the opposite, you know. That's the way a lot of people are when they're young and they're teenagers. They're rebellious. They want to do the opposite of what they're doing. But if you read throughout Scripture, you notice that Satan never uses Satanism to really draw people away from Christ. And he wants to be more subtle because it doesn't matter to him if you worship Satan or not. He doesn't really care if you live some standard of moral life. Satan doesn't really care if you go to church or not. All Satan wants to do is to do enough to distort your image of God, just enough to keep you away from having a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. That's all that Satan really wants to do, is to keep you from knowing Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. He doesn't really care about any of that whatsoever. But our purpose and our mission is for all to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And it comes through people hearing the true word of God. And so it's through the scripture and it's through us proclaiming the scripture that people come to know the saving knowledge of the word of God. But not only does it lead us salvation, the word of God does oh so much for us because these words also are useful in our life. And this familiar verses in 16 and 17, it says, all scripture breathed out by God and are profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, uh, may be complete and equipped for every good work. Our one true weapon, our true one true weapon against protecting ourselves and protecting our family and protecting those to whom we love and care so much about away from the, all the evil that seeks to draw us away from God. Our one true weapon is the word of God that we have for us in Scripture. And so the conclusion is, is that we have to commit ourselves as a church family. And you have to commit yourself in your family to make the Scripture, the Word of God, the center of your church and your home. It's the only true protection that we have because the Scripture is able to seep into their hearts and to change our lives. But if we look at our churches today, and if we look at our family today, 
the thing we spend our time the least on is growing and teaching a love and a knowledge of God's word. But we have to make that the priority. We have to make that where we start. Because if we don't, we leave the people of our church and the people of our family helpless against all the evil that we face in the world. That may be them, but that's not going to be us. Because as for us, we are going to set the example. We're going to allow people to see Jesus in us. And we will teach them the love for God's word and how it can change their lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for all that you blessed us with. We thank you for your word. Lord, I pray, Lord, dear, this morning, we, uh, we think about our lives and how we spend our time in the things that we commit ourselves to. And we ask ourselves, Lord, are we making you? Are we making your word? Are we making teaching it and showing it an example? Our priority in our lives. Lord, I pray you'll just bring us back to you this morning that we'll commit ourselves to not only following your word, but also demonstrating the way that we live our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Let's stand and sing.